listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with this this hour. I despair for humanity. I despair because stupidity rules the day. Again, humans are dumb. Humans are dumb. Did you watch the State of the Union last night? I haven't seen the video yet. It's worth seeing. At the completion of the State of the Union, Nancy Pelosi standing behind Donald Trump and then just rips the script one bit by one bit in this very theatrical move that would not be out of place in a tantrum by some teenagers. It was juvenile, scripted, clearly planned out well in advance. And before you think to yourself, well, that is outrageous. There was outrage going all around. But before we get to the other outrages, here's Nancy Pelosi trying to justify, after doing this little stunt, why she had done it. I had a statement. Read my statement. Why did you have a statement on that? It was a manifesto of mistruths, referring to the president's speech. In that speech, before you get all hot and bothered about the sanctity of the moment, in that speech, Donald Trump surprises everybody with this move, giving a medal to Rush Limbaugh. In recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And he, not only does he do this, then there's the whole reunite uh, family uh, with a serviceman. It's, it's like... It's like the twisted Oprah giving away cars moment. At this, it's it's nuts. And Mr. Limbaugh, of course, who just this week announced that he has advanced cancer, and obviously that that's terrible news. But the the Medal of Honor to Rush Limbaugh. I mean, this is a guy who's frequently been accused of hate-filled speech. He has sketches like Barack the Magic Negro, a song featured on his show saying that President Barack Obama makes guilty whites feel good, and he called Obama black, but not authentically. Here's another quote from Rush Limbaugh, by the way, who just received the Congressional Medal of Freedom. Feminism was established so as to allow unattractive women easier access to the mainstream of society. Now, I don't know what to make of that. Humans are dumb. That's what I make of that. And while the republic south of the border dissolves in front of our eyes, social norms are unraveling at an unbelievable pace. Not only do you have this happening south of the border, but here in Canada, just like all around the world, we have come to a point where likes... And viral videos, anything that you can get to spread around the internet, oh, that, that's worth it. Oh, that's the sweet stuff, baby. Just, just put that right in my veins, that viral video. I love it. I love to hate it. 
And that is what is behind this clown making that airplane turn around. You know the story. On the way to Jamaica, on the way to Mo Bay, you got your, you know, all-inclusive. Man, you're already thinking about that first rum punch you're going to have. And then this guy stands up and says, well, I got coronavirus. I got to turn the thing around. Well, Global News managed to get an interview with the man who is charged in all of this, Philip Potok. And here is his interview. I'm going to break it down with our Tom Hayes yesterday who found him and interviewed him. Let's begin, shall we? I go by Potok Philippe. I'm an artist. He's an artist. Oh, good. Let's just listen to a little bit of his music, shall we? Just hit this. What's that Freddie Jason track, huh? All right, this is... I, that's enough of that. That is just, I mean, you know, it's, no, it's derivative. This is just derivative is what it is. Any clown with a, you know, beat making machine, what do they call them these days? It's not 808s anymore. I know it's moved on from there. You could use a machine or an MPC 2000, anything. Right. Ableton Live. All you need is a laptop. Rob's my DJ. He's my, he's my producer. All right. So that's his music. All right. Let's get back. To the man in question, what happened here? I fly to Jamaica five times a year. Uh, one time, a couple trips ago, I, I did a similar thing. I pulled my phone out. I made a viral video. I got up. I said, can I have your attention? Can I have your attention? Everyone stopped and looked. And I said, Lil Wayne's new album just dropped. Everybody go get it. No problem with that. Sat back down, landed. Everybody got off. No issues. Seemed to me like this was in poor taste in retrospect. What I did, I stood up. I said, can I have everybody's attention? I just came back from Hunan province. All right, you know what? Those are not the same things. All right, that is, we're going to get to the Hunan province thing, what he actually had to say, and just how gobsmacked I am about all of this. But because he took Lil Wayne's name in vain, here's a little Lil Wayne, because this is a real rap artist. This is a little Lil Wayne. Just so you know, so you have some context. This guy's a rapper. This other guy's just a clown. Back to our interview. What? Why did you do this, sir? Well, I had my camera with me. I was looking to, to get a viral video. I was looking to get it up on all the social media platforms. I oh. figured it would invoke some type of reaction, not on the plane. More people seeing on social media going, wow, this kid's got some balls or this kid is crazy, whatever it is. So you were looking for some sort of uh, promotion or viral video? I was looking to to create a video, yes, that was that would go viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For what purpose, though, to go viral? I'm an artist. Any publicity for myself is good publicity. You see my, my point here? This is what we have come to. Humans are dumb. Humans are dumb. You know, a guy like this can say something stupid like that. He can do something dumb and affect everybody else and then just say, oh, wow, geez, I feel bad about it. feel bad about it, man. I didn't know, dude. I was just trying to get famous. I was just trying to get some likes. And is it really true that any kind of publicity is good publicity? Is that, do you believe that to be true? I mean, the fact that I'm playing these clips, are you thinking to yourself, well, now, Alan, you're giving this guy some publicity. You're giving this guy exactly what he wanted. 
Am I part of the problem? Now I'm part of the problem. I feel bad. But I don't think that's true, because here's the truth of the matter. This guy, no matter where he goes, he's going to wear this. He's going to wear this forever. You know, he tries to become a, you know, whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, you know who that guy is? That's that guy that got that plane turned around. Everybody like, well, pfft. tell you what. There is a such thing as bad publicity, especially when it comes with a charge. They've charged me criminally. And, uh, yeah, I have court to go to. Um, there's all types of positions, people that, uh, people that are happy, people that nope. are upset, but mm. in the end I've, I ruined the people on the plane's trip, so I'm extremely apologetic. No, you're not. No, you're not at all. You know, like, and then here's the other thing, like, he's, Global wasn't the only one this person, this, or only organization this guy talked to. You know, he's out there, he's trying to, he's out there trying to capitalize on it. And I just think that, I mean, we are at, at this point in life like now where it's like, well, whatever it takes, I don't care. I don't care what happens to you. It's all about the likes. It's all about the gram. And so this guy is going to have to go to court. There could be some ramifications. We don't know. What, what's it going to mean? What's it going to mean in terms of a financial penalty? This guy just went on TV and admitted to everybody everywhere, I did it. And I did it for the likes. I Humans are dumb. Did it because I'm an idiot. I did it because I just don't care about nobody else. What a time to be alive. All right, we're going to get back to dumb things that people are saying in just a moment. There's a lot of dumb things that are being said, including something that was said in the House of Commons yesterday. People are not very smart. People are not very smart. Humans are dumb. That is true. That is true. But let's get you updated on what's going on with the novel coronavirus. Ottawa is now telling Canadians stranded in Wuhan, China, that their flight out of that city has been delayed by about 21 hours. The government is saying that it's weather conditions that are to blame for not being able to get those Canadians out. And meantime, 251 Canadians are among thousands of people now quarantined on the Diamond Princess cruise ship, which is off the coast of Japan. There are nine passengers and one crew member on board that have tested positive for coronavirus. Now, none of the ten are Canadian, but an official in Hong Kong says the 3,600 people on board the World Dream cruise ship that was turned away from a Taiwanese port will now be quarantined until they are checked out for the virus. 3,600 people stranded on a cruise pardon me, a cruise ship a cruise ship off the coast of Japan, and a number of Canadians among them. Here is Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, this morning, talking about the flight delay and also talking about the situation with the cruise ship. There there is a uh, narrow window given by the Chinese for flights into Wuhan, uh, and the weather conditions were such that the plane couldn't take off, so everything's delayed by a day. Uh, We're hoping to have these families back 
on uh, on Friday. We understand for loved ones here in Canada, for the families over there, that it's extremely difficult. Uh, but uh, we're doing everything we can to get them home. What about Canadians trapped on the uh, cruise ship off Japan? Uh, what is the we are for in, uh, engaged with the uh, Japanese government in terms of uh, how we can provide support for the Canadians. We're trying to get more information about the situation right now, but we're very much uh, uh, engaged. And again, we want to reassure the families both on the on the cruise ship that we are uh, alert and engaged in their issue, uh, and uh, and trying to work with families at home to reassure them as well. What is your latest information? That is Justin Trudeau speaking this morning about the situation both in Wuhan, China, and off the coast of Japan where there are 251 Canadians who are among thousands of people now stranded and quarantined on a cruise ship. Meanwhile, the U.S. military says that two planes carrying about 350 Americans fleeing the virus zone in China is now landed in northern California. Some will be quarantined for 14 days there. Others will fly on to San Diego, where they will be quarantined in San Diego. Russia and Uzbekistan have evacuated hundreds of their nationals from China, most of them from the epicenter in Wuhan. All of those evacuees will also be quarantined for 14 days. To get a better sense of what we know about the actual virus itself, as that information seems to change fairly regularly, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Susie Hota with the University Health Network Infectious Diseases Specialist there from that hospital. Doctor, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. So what do we know in terms of transmission? I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of speculation about the vectors of transmission may be changing. What does that mean? Well, I, I'm not sure that the vectors of transmission really have changed. What we do know is this is a respiratory virus infection, so it is commonly, uh, like many other common respiratory viruses that we see, these viruses are transmitted through large droplets that are generated when you cough or sneeze and you're infected with the uh, with the virus. And so when you get those droplets, they really kind of travel about two meters or so, and it's generally the people who are in close contact with somebody who's sick in that kind of zone for prolonged periods of time who would get it, get sick from it. The WHO has... has raise concerns that it, it's not places like Canada or the United States or the developing nations that really have to worry. It is about the possibility of this spreading to other countries where we wouldn't have this the kind of protocol that we have here. I, I guess the question is, how easy does it spread if you don't have that quarantine? So it is a really good question because we do rely upon having good infrastructure in public health to actually contact the individuals who were in close contact with someone who's sick uh, as quickly as possible and make sure that they're aware of what to look out for, screen them for symptoms, uh, give them advice on how to actually proceed. Um, and that that's really an important step in terms of co- containing things early on. And so places that have fewer resources to support that are definitely at more risk for further cases to arise if individuals are not um, given the right kind of advice. When you hear the details of what's happening with that cruise ship and people being quarantined on the cruise ship, I, I struggle to understand why that is if we are flying people out and then quarantining them. Why can we not disembark those passengers and quarantine the ones that are testing positive? 
Um, you know, it's probably quite a complex process. There are a lot of people on that cruise cruise ship, 3,600 individuals. All of them uh, may be considered exposed. Um, we've seen this with other types of infections. When they get introduced onto cruise ships, they can cause outbreaks that quite, uh, get quite extensive and, and move rapidly. Um, we've seen that with, you know, viruses that are gastrointestinal in nature. And some of it is because people are uh, interacting very differently when they're on a cruise ship than they would just, you know, at home or in society. So I think that it's it's wise to take the time to really kind of think through how to actually deal with this. Um, and for now, the important thing is to make sure those individuals are monitored over that 14-day period. I can only imagine the, the kind of fear amongst the 3,600 people who are on board there. We're talking about 10 who are potentially testing positive for the coronavirus. Does that not put everybody else at risk on that boat? You know, the, the first step would be to make sure the 10 people who are symptomatic are actually separated from the individuals who are not showing symptoms. Because we do know that the uh, majority of times, this, the um, people who are actually showing symptoms are the ones who are most infectious to others. You know, there's a lot of debate right now about whether before symptoms actually declare themselves, people might transmit the virus to others. If this is so, and it's still, you know, up in the air a little bit, it doesn't contribute that much to transmission. So I think that it's manageable within a cruise ship if it's done very carefully. But like I said, it takes a lot of thinking through and and making sure that the measures are in place properly. What you're talking about there, that's the asymptomatic term that I keep hearing thrown around. Is that correct? Yes. Asymptomatic basically just means you're not showing any symptoms. Um, And so at that time, we, we assume that people are not infectious to others because likely there isn't a high enough load of virus that's in the, in the body that can be actually released and exposed to others. Um, so to take a step back, when people actually get exposed to a viral infection, they may get infected by it, but there's something called an incubation period, which is a period of time between when that infection occurs and when they show symptoms. And that can be up to 14 days in this particular infection. And so recognizing that... Um, that's where a lot of these strategies of containment kind of use that 14 days of watching to see if people develop symptoms comes from. Dr. Susie Hota is a University Health Network infectious disease specialist. Thank you so much for your perspective and coming on the program today. You're welcome. All right, I promised uh, one more bit of people saying dumb things. This is from the House of Commons yesterday. This is the NDP MP Laurel Collins. Speaking in the House, talking about sex workers. Sex workers are saying that sex work is work. I also asked the Honourable Member if he considers the Harper government's decision to implement Bill 36 that criminalized their ability to hire security, if he acknowledges that this is a factor in this death and many others. Okay, so that's the statement in the House. Now over to you. Progressive, or not progressive, conservative, uh, conservative party MP Arnold Viersen with this rejoinder. I would just respond to that by asking the honorable member across the way if it's a area of work that she is considered and uh, if that is an appropriate. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, As I mentioned, this is a segment of people saying dumb things. Humans are dumb. That is a dumb, dumb thing to say. Now, the MP apologized on Twitter, apologized uh, to Ms. Collins in person. Here is Ms. Collins speaking on this radio station earlier today with her first reaction 
when she heard that being said to her in the house? My initial reaction to his comment uh, was shock and anger. And it, it's really because this isn't about me. This isn't about Arnold Beerson. You know, our conversation was about the murder of a young woman. That is NDP MP Laurel Collins talking about her first reaction when she was asked if she'd ever been or in thought of a line of work in sex work in the house yesterday. That is dumb. Humans are dumb. That's a dumb thing to say out loud. You know what else is dumb to say? Madonna. Madonna. Telling Harry and Meghan that Canada is boring and that they should reconsider where they want to spend their time. They should come to New York City instead of Canada. Because Canada is boring. Do you feel boring? I don't feel boring. I'm not bored. I got lots to talk about because people keep doing and saying dumb things. Humans are dumb. Welcome back to the program. Willie Nelson once said famously, divorce is expensive because it is worth it. As a person who has a divorce, who has been divorced, who is divorced, I'm not sure what the tense is actually, is divorced, I can confirm those two things. A, it's expensive, and B, it's worth it. I will take you now to Ottawa, a story that is jaw-dropping. And the story is detailed in the Ottawa Citizen. It is about a man named Bruce McConville who is an Ottawa businessman and a failed mayoral candidate. He apparently withdrew a million dollars from his bank accounts and then claims to have burned the money all in an attempt to keep the cash from his ex-wife. Humans are dumb. McConville's explanation is that he set fire to the missing million was revealed during a contempt motion last week before Superior Court Justin, Justice Kevin Phillips, pardon me, and I'll read here from the story the details, the back and forth between the justice and the man in question. McConville told Phillips he withdrew a total of over a million dollars through as many as 25 withdrawals from six bank accounts, and he had receipts to back up that claim. So where's the money now? The judge pressed. I destroyed it, McConville replied. You lost me. What do you mean? The judge asked. McConville rambled and spoke of anxiety about a relationship with his daughter. And the judge asked again, back up a bit. When you say you destroyed it, what do you mean? I burnt it, McConville explained. To the tune of how much, the judge probed. In total, about a million and thirty-nine thousand dollars. He apparently put them in a barrel, put the cash in a barrel, and burned it. But the judge did not believe it and has sentenced him to time behind bars. What a story. Christy Marina is a partner at McDonald and Partners LLP, is a family law lawyer, and joins me on the line. Christy, have you ever heard anything like this? This is just from the family law perspective. These stories are few and far between, and when they come out, they're so interesting to read. So this was circulating everywhere when this came out. So in terms of what the judge has done here, the judge has said, I don't believe you. And there's a contempt motion. Take me through what that is and how unusual that is. So contempt 
contempt is extremely rare in family law to make it to the phase that this is at. So contempt is not following court orders. It's willful and egregious breaches of court orders. It's saved for the most egregious of cases because the courts don't want to, you know, put parents and spouses and they don't want them in jail. So contempt contempt is essentially like the biggest stick of family law punishment and the courts don't like going there. So for this case to have, so you need a court order, a clear court order that you've intentionally and willfully chosen and it's clear to the court, you're not following it. So you go to a contempt hearing where you're found in contempt and then it goes to the sanctions phase. And usually, I'm not sure in this case, usually the court will give the litigant time to purge their contempt and bring themselves into good standing before they sanction. Sometimes they do it right away, but sometimes they give you time. So for this to get to the sanction phase and for the sanction to be jail followed by a massive daily fine is very rare in the family law context. So it is super interesting. So what what happens if this is true? Now, this guy doesn't have any video evidence. He's got no evidence that he actually burned the money. So it's just his word that he did it. But if he actually burned the money, what, what does that mean? I mean, if, so it sounds like he has, uh, like, he hasn't followed a bunch of court orders to provide uh, financial disclosure. So it, it sounds like from reading the story that the court doesn't have any information on this guy's actual finances because they haven't even ordered him to pay child and spousal support. So it looks like it's just a complete mystery. So he's got time to file a financial affidavit. I suspect they're going to get the bank records from him. They'll get business records. There's a way to get the financial records. And if it turns out at the end of the day that he's burned the money, uh, which I mean, I don't know, but I share the judge's skepticism in that regard. Um, These contempt findings will follow him. So the judge can order more imprisonment. The judge can order more fines. It sounds like from the story that he has other assets because the judge warned him that, you know, this could result in you having nothing. So if there is equity in the house that he's entitled to or he has RSPs or accounts that may or may not be frozen by the court, the court can vest all of those in the wife. They can take what he has and give it to the wife on top of continuing these contempt sanctions against him. And ultimately, the court can go on. Like, they can ultimately kick him out of the proceeding and just go on to make orders without him. But obviously, they prefer to have the information and have him participate. I'm speaking with Christy Marina, who is a family law lawyer, about this incredible story coming out of Ottawa, a man who has claimed that he set fire, burned more than a million dollars, just to keep it away from his ex-wife in these divorce proceedings. Christy, in your experience, these things, I know they can get, they can get heated, but I, I, have you ever seen anything where people were just like, I, I will do anything but to keep the money away from my ex-spouse? Do you hear that from your clients? It, it comes up in family law. You know, people are scorned. They're upset. You know, they, they have worked hard, whatever the case might be. And, you know, there's such bad blood. There's such bad feelings that they don't want the money going to their spouse. It comes up. Those feelings are there. I've, it's never come up in my practice that, you know, someone has alleged that they burned a million dollars <laughs> just to keep it out of their spouse's hands. That's, yeah. <laughs> that is next level angry is what that yeah. is. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Christy Marina, partner at McDonald and Partners LLP. Great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for having me. You know what? People are not smart. They are not smart people. People are, you know what they might be? They might be a bit dumb. People are dumb. Humans are dumb. Humans, specifically. Hey, welcome to the Back to the uh, Program. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? Uh, I'm all tongue-tied. You know why? Because I just, I love a deal. I love bargains. And this one just popped up in my inbox. I just saw this. Actually, this is from Canadian Press. It just popped up in the wires. Flair Airlines. It's this discount airline. It's now offering, it has just announced, it is going to offer an unlimited travel pass for three months for 700 bucks. You get limitless domestic flights between February 13th and May 13th. There's a $500 version that has some blackout dates and excludes flights on Fridays and Sundays. Now, most of what Flair services is in Western Canada. But we do have Flair flights out of Toronto. So for 700 bucks. There's got to be a catch, but this is just just coming in now from Good Any Press. 700 bucks, limitless flights on Flair for three months. That sounds like a good deal. I don't know if you want to be getting on an airplane, though, because you never know. You get on an airplane, somebody shot something dumb, it's got to turn around. We've already seen that this week. Let's get you an update what's going on from the World Health Organization. This is the Director General, Tedros Adhanom, updating the latest on coronavirus. 6 a.m. Geneva time this morning. There are... 24,363 confirmed cases in China and 490 deaths. In the last 24 hours, we had the most cases in a single day since uh, the outbreak started. Okay, that does not sound like things are winding down. That does not sound to me like, well, we're over the apex, we're over the hump now. Because I I know, and I realized that like a week and a half ago, all the medical experts were saying, look, you're going to see more cases. There's going to be more screening. There's just going to, just more cases are going to come. It's just going to happen, especially in the epicenter. But we are seeing a continued spike in those numbers. But this is what's reassuring, unless, of course, you're in Wuhan, is that the numbers outside of China continue to be relatively small. Let's go back to the Director General of the World Health Organization. The relatively small number of cases outside China gives us a window of opportunity to prevent this outbreak from becoming a broader global crisis. A broader global crisis. And again, that does not square a lot of time with what we're hearing from health officials here who continue to maintain, look, there's low risk, it's not a big deal, you shouldn't be worried about it, don't freak out if some clown stands up on your flight and shouts that he's got coronavirus and he's just come back from Wuhan, he's likely just trying to get attention for himself. Which of You, course, sir, are a moron! Yes, you are a moron. Sit down and shut up! I'm just trying to get to Montego Bay. Come on! But this is where the real concern is, because it is absolutely true that the risk here in Canada is very low. But you heard the Director General of the World Health Organization talking about that there is a window here. We still have a window 
where we can tamp this down and make sure that it does not spread any further, that it, it remains contained to China. And we see all of these measures taking place. But the difficulty is, what about countries that don't have the infrastructure of developed nations like Canada, the U.S., Australia, and Japan? Back to the Director General of the WHO. Our greatest concern is about the potential for spreading countries with weaker health systems and who lack the capacity to detect or diagnose the virus. We're only as strong as the weakest link. That is the Director General of the World Health Organization updating the world this morning, the latest on coronavirus. Let's turn our eyes to what is going on here in our city where someone is apparently stealing automated speed enforcement cameras. 50 of them have been installed near schools across Toronto. It's a six-month pilot project, part of the Vision Zero campaign, to see if these cameras will help slow down drivers and help stop an ever-increasing death count and injury count on our streets. But already four of these hulking boxes that weigh 365 kilos each, and they contain the cameras and the software all inside, they mysteriously disappeared between late December and early January. That according to a city spokesperson. What does all of this mean for Vision Zero, and is, are these things even a good idea to begin with? Brad Bradford is a Toronto City Councillor and joins me on the line. Hi, Brad. How you doing, Alan? I'm good. Were you surprised to hear that these things have been carted away? Yeah, you know, it, it is surprising, first uh, first and foremost, because the size and the weight of these objects would make that very challenging. But secondly, and more importantly, it's it's disappointing, right? Um, I think it's, it shows that we have a long way to go in our efforts to uh, make our streets safer. Didn't someone think of this in advance, that if you could take this thing, if, if it's possible to take it, someone's going to take it? Yeah, you know, I guess so. Uh, it's 360 kilos, so that's that's not lightweight. Uh, they are on roads. Uh, they are on our arterial roads. They're on our collector roads and our local roads. So, you know, this is not something that you just pull over and, and throw it in a car. But obviously, uh, there's more work to do on this front. Uh, four of the 50 have gone missing. Uh, and I, I think it speaks to a bigger problem where, you know, we have the vandalization and, and the theft of these, these tools, these traffic enforcement tools, we got a long way to go with our conversations with residents, with communities about uh, why we're moving forward with this program uh, and how it's going to make our streets safer. Do, do you think that this is just a case of vandals and ne'er-do-wells, or is this actually a protest against the cameras themselves? I think there's been speculation, uh, you know, they're they're parting it off using parts of the cameras, uh, perhaps disassembling them and selling it off, uh, or it could be a protest. Um, at this point, I don't have any indication one way or another on the, the driver or the reason for this, but obviously it's got to stop and we need to take steps to make sure that this, uh, this isn't happening. Brad, do you believe that these cameras will slow down speeds? I, I actually do. Um, you know, when it comes to road safety, we had over 40 fatalities last year. We've had a number already uh, in 2020, and uh, all of those deaths are preventable. 
speed is the primary cause uh, for somebody not surviving surviving a collision, and, and pedestrians are extremely vulnerable. So we did a pilot last year, and, and you may remember that, from September to December of 2018, where we tested um, this technology and, and had it rolled out on, on several streets in Toronto, and 45% of all the vehicles that were monitored during those months were speeding. And we're not just talking five kilometers, 10 kilometers an hour over, we're talking significant speeds. Uh, the highest recorded was 202 kilometers an hour in a 40 kilometer zone. So that is extremely dangerous and totally unacceptable. And we know that tools like this can definitely change and drive different behavior. And that's what we're trying to do here. Who's on the hook for the missing cameras? Uh, so it's the contractor that is actually responsible for uh, replacing those cameras. Um, but I think like the, the bigger and more important conversation is how do we roll this out in a way where that doesn't continue to happen? Because, you know, every day that there's not the camera on the road and we're not doing the enforcement, that risk uh, for speeding and, and jeopardizing safety continues to go up. So, you know, the, the contractor has to replace the cameras, but the, the bigger problem is we can't have this happening on an ongoing basis. Now, now, see if you can answer this for me, because it was interesting this morning. I watched out in Brampton, Mayor uh, Patrick Brown was unveiling a, a new camera. And, of course, the regulation from the province is you have to have a sign-up for, what, 30 days? So he has a pro press conference where he puts up a mock camera, and then they have to take it down at the end of the press conference because they got to have this 30-day notice. Now that the camera is gone, do you have to—I I guess if the camera goes back to the same spot, you don't have to put a new notice. But if you put it anywhere else, do you still have to put that notice in? That's correct. Yeah. So we, we need to make sure that uh, people are aware that this, in the same way that we do red light cameras, uh, that people are aware that this enforcement te technology is in place. Uh, and the reason that these haven't been bolted to the ground is so that we can move them. And, and that's the intent of the program is, is to move them every 90 days or so. Um, and we think that'll be the most effective way to uh, discourage speeding across the city. Um, but yeah, you do need to give the notice and each time we will need to give the notice to drivers that uh, that the technology is coming in place and that they will be monitored. I, I'm wondering if that speaks uh, to a naivete on the part of council saying, well, we, we, we don't want to bolt these down because we want to move them. And then here we have the result, which is they're being stolen. Yeah, again, I think... <laughs> I think it really speaks to how much work we need to do and, and how much this conversation needs to evolve in the city of Toronto. Um, and well, you're talking about educating people as a general public as if it's, you know, we're going to raise the, the discourse. You know, i got to raise the discourse amongst thieves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's completely unacceptable. And, and you know, we, we also talked about how there was a, there was a camera that was spray-painted over. Uh, so that was clearly, uh, you know, they're not parting it out there. That, that is defiance of the program. Um, road safety is, is three things, right? It's road design, it's education, and it's enforcement. And as we've seen time and time again, the enforcement uh, needs to be a con critical component of our safety efforts. Uh, Toronto Police Services certainly recognizes that. They're working very hard, but this tool across the city is going to help us really change that driver behavior. Um, and, you know, maybe there was a bit of naivete around uh, whether, whether or not these needed to be bolted down or someone was going to throw a 360-kilogram uh, camera in the back of their truck. Uh, but, you know, lessons learned. It's a pilot, and uh, we need to make changes and take cor corrective action. Brad Bradford is a Toronto City Councillor. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks, Brad. My pleasure, Alan. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye now.